you know, a person who doesn't like change or change management will not survive in this position because you're just constantly like ebbing and flowing with whatever the day brings. And, but you still need to be focused to get stuff done. So, um, it is hard to balance. Like it's a constant thing that I manage with my team is, you know, some weeks will be great or days we will be great. And we kind of know, okay, we we're working on these things. And another day, like something will fly at us and I'm like, okay, team, we got to adjust a little bit. Let's drop this. Welcome to RevOps Rockstars in pursuit of unicorns. I'm David Carnes. And I'm Jaren Chu. Join us as we interview RevOps leaders to explore the challenges they have faced, the biggest lessons they've learned, and what they think makes a RevOps rockstar. This show is brought to you by OpFocus on a mission to help companies run their businesses better by letting you focus on growth while we scale your operations. Let's get this show on the road. Today's guest is a great friend of ours. She's a sales and RevOps superstar, an established leader with over 14 years of sales and revenue experience. We've heard uh, and seen her advance and jump from one rocket ship to another. The guest we have today is VP of Revenue Operations at Onapsis, Caitlin McKenzie. Welcome to the show, Caitlin. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Hey, it's so awesome having you on the show. I think we first met when you were a global sales analyst, and it's been just a pleasure watching your rise uh, through the sales ops ranks and RevOps ranks through the years. I'm, I'm curious, what's something in RevOps that you had to learn the hard way? Oh, man, I feel like there's a couple of items. But I think when I was first getting started, there was no... So to be honest, I was an admin. I was an executive admin for the head of sales at Breakove back in 07, which is actually the year we met David. Um, and I just started um, exporting reports from Salesforce to help with my, you know, my uh, manager. She just wanted to look at some data. So I started exporting some reports and then you know, it grew from there about different projects and ways that we collect the information and, you know, requiring certain information. I think you get really excited when you can start to make these um, efficiencies in your business or just provide more visibility. And I think even when you think it's something small, like one little tweak in Salesforce or an adjustment here or there, if you don't really make sure who that impacts, you can get into real trouble. And really like, you know, impact people in a pretty negative way, or even if it's just different from their day-to-day, -day, that adjustment they have to make if they don't have the heads up can be quite significant. And then it impacts everything else you're going to do from that point forward, because then, you know, there's a trust you have to build with people when you are working on those things behind the scenes. So I think, and that's like a small example, but when you're working on larger projects with lots of cross-functional people, it, it can really play in there as well. So I think being really thoughtful about you know, any changes you're going to make or really digging in and researching and, and figuring out how something's used or how other people, because even the people you don't think have anything to do with a particular field or report or whatever it is that you want to tweak, it, it can. And you don't want to find out after the fact, you know, after you've implemented something, you really want to make sure you really understand it before, um, before you make any changes. So I would say that is, I can think of a couple of examples where that's kind of popped up where I'm like, oh, I'm just going to make this change real quick. It'll be great. And then someone's like, wait a second, what happened to this? I used to, you know, I rely on this. And um, so that I would, it would say is like, really do your research, even if you think it's something small. So you're describing the proverbial Jenga blocks with, yes. with systems. And you saw that up close through the, you know, Brightcrow's Bright run up to going public mm -hmm. and watch them go public. So even more scrutiny on those kinds of changes. Oh yeah. Yep. Lots of preparation. We actually, it ended up, we created a Salesforce admin group and made sure we had representation across the whole company so that, you know, we would bring up every little thing we were changing just to say like, Hey, anyone use this or does this impact anyone? And that became a really helpful uh, group for us. It, it also like spreads out the work a little bit too, which I think is, can be really helpful if you don't have a large team managing or a lot of admins managing your Salesforce instance. Um, so it really helped us, but it, yeah, you got to be really careful with that. We like to get 
vulnerable and specific on this podcast, Kate. And my sense is you've got some specific instance of making a change and seeing the impact ripple through the organization in some unexpected way. Do you have something in mind you'd be willing to share with the audience? I think you mentioned uh, previously when we were chatting something related to comp planning, um, the complexity around that and how kind of turning one knob here would change how the entire organization responds to it. Yeah. Yeah. So comp planning is its own talk. We could have a whole podcast on just comp planning. Um, there, there's so much that goes into that planning because there's so many things that it does. It's not just paying your, your, your reps, your SEs, your beater, whoever has a comp plan. It's not just that payment or incentive piece. You also have to align it to the, the corporate plan, what your goals are, what you, where you want the business to go. Um, there really has impact up and down because that is going to be how your team actually moves forward to sell. Um, that is going to, it literally gives them the path of how they move forward and, and sell deals, which obviously can impact the customer success team, the BDRs, you know, all around product marketing, it really can have impact. So, um, I do a pretty extensive planning. I typically start in August or September, which I know some people are going to think that's crazy, but it's really important to get ahead of it. Um, so you can really make sure you're putting the right plan in place and you're doing all, it kind of comes back to that last question is like doing that due diligence because um, it's it's not just the plan for the next year. So 2023, planning for that for the company. It's also looking at how people performed last year and if the you know incentives and motivation you put in place actually resulted in the right behavior. So it's sometimes you have to fix like a couple of companies ago, we had reps that weren't hitting, you know, they were maybe at 40% of their quota, but they were hitting all like hundred percent of their variable. And that's not really the right behavior. You want to make sure people are hitting their number. And then the, you know, as you hit it, you get your variable as it goes. Um, Cause from the finance perspective, you also have this budget that you have to stay within. You can't go outside of the comp budget. Um, so there is a lot of pieces that it impacts and you have to be really careful, which is why I like to start early and go through different iterations and really make sure that the impact you are trying to make is the impact that's really going to happen because we all know sales reps or anyone with a comp plan, you know, they really want to figure out that plan so they can make the most money. I don't blame them. Like I don't blame them in doing that. Like you should expect that behavior from them, but it's ensuring that you're going to get the results that you're you're looking for from a company perspective while also making sure that those top performers are, are making money and are happy um, doing that. So there is a lot of impact that can happen, you know, by putting in a comp plan that isn't really thoughtful. You have to be really thoughtful about it. That sounds like a CFO's nightmare, that 40%, 100% scenario that you described. Yeah. Yeah. It can be tough. <laughs> I'd love to talk more broadly about RevOps now. I know we jumped straight in at the start of the podcast, uh, talking about some of these lessons learned and and unexpected things we've had to learn the hard way. Your current title is VP of RevOps. We know in every company that kind of means something different. What does that entail at Onapsis and how do you measure success in your role? Sure. Um, So I'm going to give you five categories that basically, this is kind of my own opinion. Like when when I was looking to work here, these were the five areas that I really wanted to own. This is what I really believe is revenue operations. And at Onapsis, this applies to the marketing, sales, um, partner, and customer experience team. And that customer experience is customer support, customer success, and um, professional services. So we are the team that provides all analysis and reporting. We also uh, play a part in enablement for the go-to-market team. So I'm so lucky that at Onapsis, I actually have a corporate enablement team, which is amazing. But you know that doesn't mean that they do everything for the go-to-market team as we help structure and plan that. And then they help us execute, which is we're so lucky to have. Um, also comp planning and the execution of that um, process, like any process that has to do, like even if it's not our process, if the process touches anyone on our team, we need to be a part of that. Um, and then systems and tools. So like anything that the team is using, obviously the biggest one is Salesforce that we manage. Um, so that's the part, the the areas that we support here. It's actually 
just like my last company too. It's where I really believe to make an impact and to really manage and um, have, you know, an, an effect on revenue. Those are the things that we need to manage. Um, and uh, how I measure that, this is, you know, I am a person that lives and dies by data. I can't go forward with a decision without data. But this is where I'm going to tell you how I measure success, and it doesn't have to do a lot with data, which is very surprising to me. But it's really as I was thinking about this, and and I was asked this question actually. There was a new person that started our company, and and he was asking me the same question: is like, how do you measure success for your team? And yes, there's projects we have, right? There's lots of projects we have with deadlines and and ensuring that we hit that, or you know, when we release new. Um, workflow rules or any sort of thing we're doing in Salesforce that there's no bugs or no errors. Like, yes, those are all important, but here's other ways that I like to measure success for my team is corporate level project involvement is if we're involved in those and it doesn't necessarily, we aren't running it. We could be running it, but we, you know, maybe it's a big corporate initiative that's happening and someone from my team is there. Like that to me is they think we are believe how important we are and they couldn't get it done without us. There's uh, every company that I've been at has had awards that, you know, either quarterly or annually, I want someone on my team winning an award every single time. Um, it was actually a huge KPI, like a personal KPI of mine at my last company. And every single quarter we had someone winning, which was like highlight of my career was that experience. Um, we at Onapsis, we have Lattice. And my team is constantly getting shout outs, which I love. Like I want that to be a constant flow is, is getting shout outs in the, it's how people um, essentially like high five each other in the company. And then um, another big one, this is actually a metric is overachieving on our corporate number. Like we directly impact revenue. So like if we're not hitting our number, that that's a real problem for me. That means that we're not doing our job the best that we can. Um and then this other piece kind of is like tickets. Like we have a ticketing system and depending on the categories of those and the numbers of them, are we doing our job to support and prepare our teams? And that can kind of be shown, and this is data, this can be database, but um, by the tickets that we're getting, does that accurately, like where can we be improving? What areas can we be improving based on the tickets that we're getting? So that's a lot, but it's, it's like, it's a whole, there's a whole bunch of things that I like to make sure that we're, we're involved in where, you know, it just shows the trust and the, uh, the trust the company has in us and the involvement that we can provide. So that's like how I believe we can be successful as those things. Yeah. I'm sitting here, Kate, and I'm like trying to soak it all in. Cause you've mentioned all of these different areas, all of these different initiatives. Uh, I'm kind of like, curious as as a leader of a, of a team with this many functions right as that vp of revops how do you switch between thinking about one specific area to another to another to another right like how do you stay focused enough and then how do you also still have that breath you're describing yeah it's my favorite and least favorite part about revops is that we are involved in everything and we're involved in everything it can be really overwhelming um, and you really just have to, I have two team meetings a week. You have to have a really tight plan that every, you know, a project, it's like a modified pro project plan that we kind of use. We do quarterly training or sorry, quarterly planning as a team to kind of figure out the things that we need to work on and the things we want to work on. It's just constant touch points because even though you have these big projects you're working on, we live in an ad hoc world. Like things are coming at us from all places and you can't, you have to, you have to be okay with that. You know, a person who doesn't like change or change management will not survive in this position because you're just constantly like ebbing and flowing with whatever the day brings and, but you still need to be focused to get stuff done. So um, it is hard to balance. Like it's a constant thing that I manage with my team is, you know, some weeks will be great or days we will be great. And we kind of know, okay, we we're working on these things. And another day, like something will fly at us and I'm like, okay, team, we got to adjust a little bit. Let's drop this. You move into here. And it's like just a puzzle piece. You have to constantly be adjusting, but we all thrive in that environment. I'm, my team is amazing at Onapsis. I, like, I'm so lucky that we're all just, yep, got it. I got this. You take that. And it's just a constant moving, like a this moving puzzle piece you have to manage, but you have to enjoy it. Like when we get... um 
something accomplished or we, we like today we want, we're going to launch something at five o'clock that um, is going to reduce our customer success team filling something out by four fields. Like that's huge. And that's what drives us. We get really excited. And then we get the lattice shout outs and we're on company awards. Like that's the stuff that's driving our team to kind of be able to move through that uncertainty, uncertainty sometimes with not knowing what's going to come our way. I'm hearing two themes in what you said. One is a comfort with discomfort mm -hmm. and being not only okay with it, but embracing that. And the other is also trusting in the process because the context of what you're doing, the the, the material, the actual work you're doing will shift day to day to day, but having structure, for example, with those team meetings or mm -hmm. your monthly training cadences, or probably there's other pieces to it can help ground the way your team works together. Yeah. There needs to be a foundation. If they don't feel supported in that foundation, then when there's movement and shift, like it, it just won't feel right. So you got to have this really supportive foundation for them. Cause I have some people who do much better in change than others. And you just have to figure out how that person works and how they're motivated and how they feel supported and make sure you're giving it to them so that as these things change and, and shift that they they're okay with it. And that, you know, you're providing that support depending on, you know, what you think they, they need at that moment. Is there something in your role as VP of RevOps that you wish you had done sooner? Yeah. I wish I was I wish I had been a rep early. I really, it's something I went back and forth, back and forth about like up until a couple of years ago. And there, one of my favorite sales leaders, Steve Green, him and I used to talk about it all the time early when I, cause I've worked at Breakup twice. So early him and I spoke about it. And then even when I came back, we talked about it then about this, like, like I'm just a really competitive person. My sister's in sales, my brother's in sales, my dad has his own business. So like he technically has to always be selling as well. And it's like something I know I can do and I've always wanted to, and I never quite did it. I did become a customer success rep, which kind of scratched that itch a little bit for me, but I kind of wish, I don't think I, I don't think I need it at this point anymore. I think it was an insecurity I had is like, I'm telling these sales reps what they need to be doing. And I'm suggesting these things during the sales cycle. And I'm trying to help and coach them because I've been through all the same training they have. It's not like I haven't, I've been on customer calls. I have vendors I manage, which is like hardcore negotiating. So there are similarities. And I just really thought that I needed to like have a number and like have get out there and cold call. Um, and I, I really wish I had done it early in my career, but, um, I didn't, I came close customer success. I did have, you know, I didn't have a quota, but I had, you know, numbers I had to hit, but that's something which I don't think you have to do. So if anyone's out there and they're like, shoot, I need to go do, you do not have to do that, but it is something I kind of wish I did early in my career. Some might argue, Kate, that you did something much cooler. You worked for a time for the Red Sox, right? I did. Yep. Yeah. Um, it's, I like to say that I started, I graduated from college in 04. I started working for the team and it's just real coincidental that they also won the world series that year, which obviously had to do with me. I'm taking absolutely without a doubt <laughs> that level of excellence. So Kate, you've talked about negotiating for what your, what your role would encompass. You've talked about having a well-oiled machine for a team. So I'm I'm curious about, so you, you've been in your role for a year and a half. As the organization grows and evolves, are there other aspects or um, are there other functions within the business that you're on the lookout for possibly taking on as Anapsis continues to grow? Yeah, I think there's a real opportunity for me to just even grow you know, it, like go to market operations is a bigger kind of approach to it To I think there's other teams that, that my team could really help on the operational side of things. Um, because we really just are pretty tight around marketing sales, customer success partners. I do think there's areas we could probably expand just in that group of more to take on. But I do think, you know, from the product side, the legal side, the finance side. I do think there's like operational things that people don't always think about that those teams need that we could 
help with even systems like a central system team you know i know it usually handles that but even you know i do think there's more to an operational type of team that we could expand into yeah and uh you talked about the the team being the well-oiled machine and i know from having known you for a number of years that you've also built some pretty strong teams in the past as well um, do you have any tips on uh, assembling the right players to be on your team? Oh, that's a good question. Um, yeah, I think. Um, or or tools that you use. Yeah, I think it's about. I know this is what everyone says, but it's it's true. Is you need really curious people, and when you're interviewing them, like you really need to dig into that aspect of like how they approach things. They have to be super curious and they need to, you know, like they want to know more is they uncover something. Do they stop there? Or do they keep going? Like, where do they go? Um, Cause I think that is such a key piece of, of rev ops is yes, you need to, you know, depending on what you're hiring for you, like you need to have the system side of things and understand the systems and be able to vet them on what they've done before. Um, or the analytical side, making sure that they've done, you know, how far they've gone into analytics or BI potential, whatever it is. But it's it's really finding someone that's really curious, that's like someone that cares, like someone that really cares and like wants to do well. And that person that can live in that change management area too is, you know, how do they react when things get constantly switched and changed and reprioritized on them? You know, can they, are they going to be okay with that? Um, I honestly also rely on my network is having a really good network to be able to reach out to and ask, you know, you got to be pretty specific on what you're looking for. Um, because I really, I always want that person to be successful. I don't ever want to hire someone that I just, I don't think is going to, you know, absolutely kill it in that position. Like, I hope they're there for a year and then they're moving up. And I always want to know what they want to do beyond this. Like, where do they see themselves going? Because I want to be the person to help them get to that position. And hopefully that is in the RevOps team somewhere. But, you know, that aspirational growth is also something I, I really look for. This may be controversial, but I also love an athlete. And it could be any sort of sport because you have that competitive nature, the teamwork part of it. Um, I don't care if you're tennis, chess, lacrosse, basketball. I don't, it's just that camaraderie in it as well is like, I think that's a really important part of um, building a really good team is that you got to care about each other. You got to help each other out. Um, so that's, those are kind of the things that I look to anyone Jaron tells me to hire. Honestly, she always has good recommendations. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's so true. Um, I love all those tips. Thank you for, for talking about that. Last question on the, um, the team's topic. How do you determine the right balance between in-house and uh, outsourced work? Um, so I am a big believer that, and it has nothing to do with the people who are hosting this podcast, is that you never have Salesforce developers in-house. I just, I always think it's, I truly believe that you outsource that all the time. Um because they're expensive resources. And I'd rather work with someone that has done this thing I'm asking for. Like nothing we're asking for is ever like super unique. Like these are problems that someone else has had, probably lots of other people have had. So I would rather get someone that has that knowledge base and a company behind them that has lots of different ways that they've solved the same problem, depending on what the customer is looking for. Um, so I really believe in outsourcing that. Obviously, sometimes when we do planning and it involves systems and integrations, um, you have to know your company's systems and integrations to a certain level. But um, I also really like having consultants come in when it's like a really big, impactful project that you're trying to get done that involves probably multiple teams. Like it's good to just have someone um, be able to like really pull you back a little bit and look at the whole entire problem. And also sometimes when you have cross-functional projects that are happening, you have all these voices and we all know what happens when, you know, I'm saying it's this, it's this, it's this, we got to fix this and no one else is listening. It's great to have a consultant come in and hopefully they also believe in the same thing. And it's just a different voice that is able to get your company kind of 
seeing it a different way, even though it's what you've been probably telling them the whole time. But um, so I think those large cross-functional projects that involve a couple different systems and then Salesforce development is a CPQ. Don't ever manage that. To me, it's a red flag. When you go to a company and they are doing CPQ on their own without a developer, just like some, it is, to me, that's something's wrong with that. Like you need to have that outsourced because it is, you make one tweak on one thing and it has so much impact. Like CPQ to me is a black hole that I don't want anything to do with. I need an expert managing that who can keep up with it. And like I mentioned, have this whole Rolodex of customers they've also helped with similar problems or be able to guide you in the right direction. So um, I also, one more thing is um, I've had really good success with uh, external help building and launching sales methodology. Um, this great company, Brainbox, has helped me a couple of times in the past. I like, I love them. They're awesome trainers. Um, they ha- they build custom sales methodologies for your company based on how people are buying. It's ju- I've just had such a fantastic experience with them, and that's not something I would want to do unless you had like a trainer in house that has done that before. That's another thing. I just I also think an outside voice sometimes really helps with large, chunky. Um, projects like that, like sales methodology is like very encompassing. So, um, that I would also want someone else in front of my sales team, um, versus doing it in house. I think that's probably one of the first things I picked up on as soon as I, you know, uh, you know, laced up my shoes and picked up my consulting bag, uh, was that the paid outside voice, even saying the same thing. And over the years, I, th- I can't tell you how many times I've asked, you know, what big initiative are you? are you really passionate about? Maybe there's a way to be helpful just pushing that along just because of that, the reality of the outside paid voice sort of bearing a different weight for whatever reason. Yeah. It's amazing how fast things can move when someone else tells (laughs) tells the company what the problem is. Hey, you're mentioning a lot of these cross-functional initiatives, um, complex, affects multiple departments, functional areas. RevOps often owns lots of corporate level initiatives, be that when a merger or acquisition happens, or it's planning for these large annual events like SKO. Um, What are some of those large corporate level initiatives that you've kind of absorbed or taken on? And can you tell us a little bit around how do you manage and work in those initiatives in addition to essentially your team's day job? Yeah. so M&A is my favorite. I've been lucky to be a part of quite a few, some that have gone all the way through, some that haven't, but just, um, I kind of feel like a spy a little bit because you can't tell anyone about it. It's this like short little group and you're going like real deep and you got these secret folders. You got to go look at, like, I love due diligence. I love doing, I love the planning of it. Um, at my last company, we actually acquired our largest competitor. That was crazy. Like that was like the planning of it. You couldn't talk to anyone. And I literally had to make the plan for the whole go-to-market team. So it was like me putting together plan A, plan B, plan C. I was just so worried that if like, you know, because you know what happens is when you purchase someone, like it doesn't always, the people you want to stay don't always stay. The You know, it, there's always things that you have to have literally out of plan like G ready to go. God forbid something happened. And then you also have to get your, your leadership team. So my team, I had to be like, okay, you just heard the announcement. Let's get into our war room. And I have to tell you like all of the things that I have planned out and like all this nuance that we have to, you know, either some open items I need help with, or like, here's my plan. Like, are we good with this? Um, and you just have to like, go, go, go. It is so exciting. It is thrilling. I love every second of it. Um, but it's hard to manage because you literally can't tell anyone on your team. Typically, like I, I haven't had the ability to tell anyone on my team, any of the ones I participated in, um, they obviously know I'm working on something, but they don't know what, but they, this is how, why I just love, I've had really good teams where they're like, we got, we got it. You go do that. We got it. And, you know, being able to cover all of the day-to-day stuff. It's also a really good opportunity to have some of your, like really see your team step up and like see their their whole capacity go up and and um it's just that has been this really amazing thing to see it also helps with promotions because it it shows a really clear 
half of what they're able to do to, and you can easily fight for them because the whole company, basically, if I have to step out and they're going to be running certain things like forecast calls, that's a global call in front of everyone and really being able to promote them up into those positions. So there's like a little, uh, a real silver lining there in terms of the team side to promote them up. Um, but then SCO, oh my gosh, SCO is, it's a lot. <laughs> Sales kickoff is a lot. Um, but, uh, and I've had all different budget sizes. I've had like half a million. I've had a couple hundred dollars. I've had the full realm and you just have to, and obviously in the virtual world, that became very different. You have to be so thoughtful about engagement and bringing people together and really making it feel like you're there. Um, by having like really fun, engaging things. And um, that's something that I try to pull my team into to different areas of it so that, because it's, everyone wants to be a part of SCO, right? Like that's the hardest thing is when you come up with your invite list and you have a set amount of budget so everyone can't go and you just, so I really like to get my team as involved in certain areas as I can. But again, like that's the area where, you know, I'm working on this. I need you guys to to be managing this stuff. And uh, that's where like team meetings, just you have to either put more on the calendar or stand-ups every morning. If you can't spend as much time as you want with them is you got to figure out ways to touch base and um, really run a tight project plan if you have something big that's also happening at the same time. I've also been very lucky to have help with SCO, you know, having my marketing team and, um, you know, my COO, CRO always have excellent EAs to help who are honestly without them that they would never happen. Um, so I also have had production teams, which has been super helpful. Like I'm talking at Bright Cove, it was a conference level. It was incredible the things we did for SCO, but we also had a really big budget so we could do those sort of things. Um, but it, it's like really just relying on your team to really step up and, um, and also celebrating them when they do that. And I, my experience has been, it has been pretty awesome to see them do that. And, um, they're just, they have to take on more. It's like a balance It's like, you know, if someone gets sick or their child is sick and they're out, like everyone's got a shift in balance. And luckily I've had this really great team who easily does that. So the rallying you're describing, you know, everyone coming together and also the way you look at it positively, which is, Hey, here's an opportunity for different people to step up. I think that can be very, very motivating at the same time. RevOps is already a cross-functional department that has so much on your plates. And mm. I want to get back to the question around when you have to own these corporate level initiatives, be that an M&A process that might take anything between six to 18 months or a SCO, which you might plan for a few months in a, leading up to uh, the new year. How do you juggle these kinds of initiatives that are almost one-off or once in a year versus yeah. the things that you have to do on a day to day. What do you say no to? What do you, you know, kind of set aside? Yeah. Well, actually, that's a great point. Is <laughs> I love being like, oh, I have SCO meetings. I can't, we can't take on anymore. It does give us a reason to say no to a lot of things if they really don't impact revenue. Like if they're not going to impact revenue for that quarter, we're not working on it. I mean, basically that what is that's the um that's what my team says when we enter the third month of every quarter is if it doesn't have to do with revenue for this quarter or even next, I'm okay with next or competitive information. That's my, also my other caveat is I'm okay with competitive information or training at any point. But um, if it doesn't have to, if it doesn't impact revenue, we're not doing it. Well, we were happy to help you, but it just not right now. And I will say people are pretty good about that. There's only been, I, I can probably think of less than a handful of times where people were angry about it. Um, but that happens, like, that's something we have to manage constantly is like, we support a group of teams and not everyone's number one, like the channel's number one priority isn't going to be marketing's number one priority, but we ultimately have to decide on who's we work on first or how we get them done. So it, it is, it's a constant battle, but you like, you know, I've also worked for really good leadership teams where people get it and we'll talk about it. You have to be very transparent. Like, I'll post a project list. You know, I'm not lying about it. I, I wish we could do it right now, but we can't. So you just have to really communicate. And um, sometimes people have to really like feel the pain you're going through. Is like, listen, I have 15 SCO meetings this week. Like, I can't take this on. You're going to have to wait till next week. Like, sometimes you just have to, that's what you have to say. Um, but 
it's, it's never a no. It's just like, not right now. You know, it's, I never want people to think that we're not listening. We don't care. Like we get it, but there's, you know, I have a team of four people right now and there's just only so much that we can get done. So let's add it to the list. Here's the list we're working on. Like you can see everything happy to share project plans. Like I'm not high, like I'm, I would never hide anything. I'm happy to expose whatever they want to see. Um, but I'm pretty, I have one-on-ones with every single one of my, the go-to-market leadership team. So we're constantly communicating and, um, and, you know, we go above and beyond a lot for each of them at some point, at certain points. So it all comes back around, you know, like we're not going to let you fail, but, you know, we also have these things that we have to get done, but it is kind of nice sometimes when you're in SCO or comp planning to say, I, ju- I am slammed this week. My team is slightly, we just really can't take this on. We will definitely help out. Is there something we can do like short-term solve for you? Let's figure that out. And then we'll build that long-term as soon as we just get a little bit of time. So Kate, you've talked about prioritization and you've talked about the teams below you. I'm curious about the team above you. Uh, what's your experience interfacing with the board or the investors uh, behind the board? So I was in one board meeting. It was very nerve wracking. It was exciting though. Um, I mean, they were really good to us. I know they went easy on us, to be honest, but um, it was really fun because it was a topic. It was about um, really tiering our account base and our prospecting and like the whole plan around how we were going to attack it and which uh, segments were prioritized. And I mean, I knew that in and out, so it was really fun. I can imagine if I was presenting on something that was coming and it wasn't fully baked yet, but we had to like give an idea, it would be harder. Um, but I'm prepping board decks. Like I've been prepping those decks for years and years and years now. And um, I do always like to know who's in that room like what their backgrounds are to get an idea of what they care about. Obviously it's really important to know the story. Like, you know, typically that you have a template that you're just putting together. And then depending on what that template is saying, good or bad, you got to kind of need to explain the good or bad. And then any high priority initiatives that you're working on, you need to add that into the story. It's like, you kind of layer things on and work on it. And, um, they're not my favorite. I'll be honest. Board slides are really stressful because you have to, if you put something in, it's, it's there for a long time. And if it's a really good story one time, and then you gotta, you like that story is so important and you have to be really consistent. Um, and it's not just the slides I'm putting together for the go-to-market team. I need to know kind of the, all the story that goes around it so that we are really consistent. Um, so, I love dry runs. Like we do a lot of dry runs um, and there's a lot of involvement and I, in hearing the talk tracks of the people who are presenting, I think is also really important. I know that some companies like to chunk it up and it's just like, you just worry about this piece. Like that's not six, unless there's someone overall managing the whole deck who can kind of help and guide you through it. That's fine. But I just feel that it's so important that everyone who's participating, which usually is a small group, has the background of, you know, if you just joined, what has been the story the last couple of times? Um, what's the typical cadence that happens? Like, because sometimes, you know, they get a deck early or they get some snippet early and then there's the presentation and then there's follow-up or off on off months, they get newsletters. So you kind of need to have that all planned out as an idea of what you're going to be delivering. Um, I also think it's super important. I actually learned this from my last boss, Rick Hansen, one of my favorites, is always come with an ask. Is don't just provide all this information. Like they're the board. They need to be helping you as well. And you should come with an ask. So one of the things that we've done before is, you know, here's our top 10 deals, new new deals. Here's our top 10 renewals. Do you know anyone at these companies? Like, can you help us here? Here's our top 10 targets. This is who we want to get into. Can you help here? Like there always should be some sort of ask because that's their job, right? Is they need to know how the company's performing, but also, um, and I've always found that they're really excited to help if they can help or if they come up with an idea, like they like being involved. So um, I guess my- Yeah, such great tips, Kate. Um, Especially like that thought around the depth of what you're sharing with the board and knowing who's in the room so that you're sharing appropriately uh, because clearly you have a lot more data they don't want to hear they they can't hear it all they, there's not enough time 
So you've got to get that depth of the data correct, the depth of the presentation. So it's really, really an interesting concept. Um, I'd love to shift to talking about the tech stack. Um, what tech stack tool could you not live without? We're heading into 2023. There's got to be something. I mean, I personally love Validity, the formerly demand tools. I mean, I will always be a super hands-on active Salesforce person. Like I can't, I came up as a Salesforce admin. I'm never going to let that go. Like I can't, I need to be in there. I like to be looking around. Um, I like care so much about data quality. Like if, you know, our states are abbreviated in our current instance, when I find something spelled, it drives me crazy. And I'm like, I need to look into it. And it, sometimes it's like something I just like to get in and do. Validity, can't live without it. I know some people love- We can write scripts. There. Yeah. Yeah. I just, I can't live without it. Yeah, that's great. Um, how about um, for reporting? Where do you go for your at-a-glance view? So I wish that, well, Cleary. We do have Cleary, which I love. That's a nice glance at pipeline, what's happening, what's going on. Um, I am used to having like a Tableau or something. Unfortunately, we don't have that here. We do have Power BI, which we're building up further, which is great. So I, I like, I can't, I can't stand one-off reports or like one. I like to build something and have it and be consistent. That way, everyone, everyone's language is the same around it. Everyone understands what they're looking at. There's not these like one-off reports that are going out. You're and you're saying like, oh. Did you know that our um, average selling price is this? It's like, well, where did you get that from? What are you pulling? Is it all deals? Is it new deal? Like what? There just is confusion. So I like a really, uh, I like global dashboards that everyone can refer to the same thing for just that reason. Um, so I kind of wish that I had power. I wish we were a little bit further along. We will get there. It's just, you know how it is. It takes a while to build those things out. But um, Cleary is, that's my go-to right now to, and Salesforce, honestly, Salesforce dashboards we have built out too. So not as, not super sophisticated, but sometimes you don't really need fancy. You just need to know what's going on. I love that you boiled it down to the bare minimum, right? I think the plethora of RevOps tools out there that simplify our lives is just so abundant. And sometimes it's about keeping it simple just like mm -hmm. focusing on those few things you need and that's that's sufficient right that's that's enough for you to make the decision we've been talking a lot about your prior experiences what you've been doing in the past i'm wondering what's exciting you about the future of revops what do you look forward to okay um okay so this i'm I guess this is just me is that finding the silver lining and everything. I'm a glass half full person. I can't help it. I know some people find it annoying, but it's just what it is. So we are in, we are entering unknown, right? There's stuff going on with the economy. Everyone's tightening their belts. Everyone's, you know, if you even look at um, all the, the webinars that are happening and I'm in, getting invited to like all these events and, and it's all about how do you do more with less? because everyone's budgets are being slashed. We don't know what's going to happen. Um, the What's happening in the world is crazy. And I think there can be real good that comes out of that. I think it, it uh, I like love the scrappiness that and the creativity that can come out of that when you really have to go. So what does that mean when you slash budgets is you got to really focus on the data and really figure out what is happening from the top of the funnel all the way through renewal, et cetera. And you need to be able to tweak and really understand like where the bottlenecks are and, and be creative with it. You know, sometimes you can't spend money to get a system to fix it or to get more visibility. Like you got to just get in there and figure it out. And I do think there is like, I, I can't wait to see, there could be consolidation of tools to kind of give you something. There could be a new way to look at our pipeline or leads or, you know, ABM, there, there, there is something that is going to come out of this that someone has like said, you know what, we can't spend money, but like, this is a problem we're going to figure out and this is how we're going to do it. So I'm really looking forward to, and like, I hope my team is the one that, you know, figures something out that's really cool and changes the whole industry on it. But 
I just, there is real opportunity to do really creative, cool things and to look at your your business differently and to look at how you're doing things and the money you're spending and the results you're getting. And there's something that's going to come out of that that's really good, like really good. So that's what I am most excited about is, you know, what's going to shift and change based on what's happening, you know, with the economy and in the environment. That I think is quite provocative. The fact that you're saying, hey, all of this disruption, all of this economic turbulence out there could actually be good for uh, trimming down and getting creative and uh, determining what is actually mission critical. I think I, I haven't heard anyone else say that, but I'm, I'm loving it. Yeah, something's going to happen. The first half of the call, we've been talking a lot about you know, what you've been doing in RevOps. I'd love to drill in a little bit more around your background, how you got here. I think you're based, uh, you're, well, you're local here to us in Boston, you're in Framingham. Um, your background, I think you actually studied business, right? Entrepreneurship and business management at Babson. Mm -hmm. And prior to this, you'd spend quite a bit of time at Bright Cove, joined, left, joined again, most recently VP of Global RevOps at Bright Cove. David mentioned at the start of the call that you were working for the Sox. How did you get into SaaS RevOps? It, <laughs> um, so I am one of those people that like truly believes in just like listening to the universe. You got to be open. You got to, you know, as, as practical as I am, I try to be like, I always say this is people who know me at work would probably not recognize me outside of work because, um, you know, I'm into acupuncture and holistic healing and just like letting the universe speak to me. And I try to just be, but at work, I am data, prove it to me. I am very, I'm very type A at work, but I am much more relaxed at home. Um, and so get ready for this journey I'm about to take you on. So um, I went to Babson, studied, studied entrepreneurship, was an athlete, played field hockey and lacrosse, lived for it, was devastated when I had to hang up my stick. Um, but I had this great opportunity to, uh, I was actually babysitting for the COO of the Red Sox. And um, he it was like, I was about to graduate. He's like, so what are you doing? What are you going to do after school? And I was like, I just am going to, because I played lacrosse, so that's spring season. So I'm like, I'm just living it out until my last game. And then I'll figure out. My dad owns his own business. So I was like, I can work in the office or something. So wasn't really worried about it. And he's like, well, I'm starting this company. You know, we're, we're starting this new company that um, is owned by John Henry. So owner of Deep Pockets basically is what we have. And we are trying to, um, you know, come up with some new ventures that basically bring revenue into the team. So my first job, he hired me. I went in, met everyone. People there are awesome. You know, everyone I worked with was amazing and um, wrote a bunch of business plans. And one of them was called Fan Photo, that it was people who walk around the park and take your photo and then you go online and you buy them. So I wrote that business plan. I helped launch that. It was, oh, cool. like, I can't even tell you like how insane it was to be, you know, what, 23, 24 years old, going to the all-star game with all the players and, you know, trying this thing out where you're taking photos and I'm negotiating with Nikon and Canon, whoever the sponsors were at the particular park, because everyone has a sponsor, hiring people at, I launched at nine different parks. So I was traveling all over the place and uh, it was intense though. I was like never home. So when the Red Sox were away, I was traveling to the other teams trying to help them and get them started. So like it was in Texas, Chicago, um, Atlanta. I was like all over the place. It was because, amazing. Because doing it just for their own team wasn't enough. They had to, you know, go across the 30 or so teams in the league. Help everyone out. Yeah. Yeah. That's great. Um, I was fresh out of college and there were five executives from the Red Sox that were helping this venture get going. I had to see the take, like it was just insane. They're like, hey, what we should, what should we do? And I'm like, um, I just graduated. Why are you asking me? Like you're all like grown men who've been doing this for a really long time. Um, it was awesome. And then, uh, it, you just get really burnt out though. Like it's really, cause every there's 12 game homestands you're working at 12 straight days. And, um, as much as I loved it, it was really hard. And, um, 
we ended up selling off the fan photo business, which was great. So I, it was time to find something else. So I skied for a whole month, went skiing out West, a couple different places, lived it up. And then um, I really wanted to get into tech. So then I went to a recruiting firm and I became an EA for Elizabeth Bentel Carpenter, one of my favorite bosses ever. She is amazing. And uh, head of sales, like so rare to work for a woman head of sales back in 07. And uh, then I started exporting these reports and working in Salesforce. And she's like, you're sales ops. And I'm like, I don't know what that is. She's like, it's what you're doing. So you're just going to do that now. And then she hired someone else to be her EA. So that's how I got started. And then I went to David's training to learn Salesforce and how to be an admin. And the rest is history. I've just kind of, you know, really important to have a good network, really important to have really good mentors. And I'm I'm just also a really curious person. Like I need to know that I'm doing the best that I can. And I always want to keep learning and growing. I am not someone that can be stagnant. So I think just like self-motivation and really being proactive with learning and growing and asking questions. Wow. Uh, you've mentioned Onapsis a few times, uh, of mm-hmm. course, because that's where you are right now. What does Onapsis do? Tell me uh, what your elevator pitch is. Sure. So we protect the business critical applications that run your business. So um, if you are using SAP or Oracle and you're not talking to us, you need to talk to us. You know, the threats out there are changing constantly. Like, how do you keep, you know, keep on top of them and make sure that you're really protecting your critical business applications? The risk is just too high to be left open. And, you know, there's uh, other companies that help with the network level and the endpoint. We are application level. So we protect your crown jewels. So right now we're, we protect 20% of Fortune 100 companies. So if, if you, like I mentioned, if you're using Oracle or SAP and you haven't spoken to us, please make sure you um, go to our website. There's a button right there to reach out to sales, connect with me on LinkedIn. Happy to get you in contact with someone, but um, now is the time. I mean, we all hear about what's happening. You know, I feel like every other day it's someone got hacked or, you know, the credit card numbers were released and it's, you know, you need to make sure that you're protected because the alternative is just, it's really scary. What can happen? Yeah. It's and devastating. what happens to your brand? Your brand can really suffer by that. So, um, everyone who, you know, wants to protect their company needs to be using Onapsis. So Kate, you've talked about a lot of different interests, a lot of different opinions, a lot of different ways that you set up a team. You've shared a lot about your career. I'm really curious because you could go in a lot of interesting directions. What's your ideal bucket list kind of role? I always say that my last job, the thing I want to end my career on is um, in whatever capacity this is, I'm open, right? Because I feel like, you know, this is shifting and changing. Um, I want to help businesses continue to grow. So as, if that's at a venture capitalist company and I'm um, helping startups or teenage companies, because honestly, if you look at my career, it's been more of the teenage stage that you're helping to, you know, pivot to that next milestone. But it's really taking everything that I've learned and been through and really helping those companies um like hit that next milestone, whatever they want that to be is hitting that, that would be my ideal place I would want to end my career on. Um, so that would be, that's like, that's where I would want to go. That's my, I think that makes a ton of sense. Uh, I like to help. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Uh, Kate, you talked about your network earlier. Who else should be on the RevOps Rockstars podcast? Okay. I have two. So there is I so thank you to OpFocus. I have this incredible group of RevOps women that I'm pretty sure every single time I see, oh, my RevOps ladies, my team is like, oh God, here we go with another story about your but I cannot survive without these women. Um they got we all got through COVID together. This group started before COVID and we had monthly meetings. Literally can't survive without them. There is one in particular or two really in particular that if I have an issue and I like need to ask someone about it, Sherry Marsdorf is the person I go to. She's like my number one of like, 
Who do you use for this? What do you do for this? Have you heard of this? What do you think about this? But also there is one other person who is always the one behind the camera or the one asking the questions that never gets interviewed herself. And this may be controversial because she's on this podcast right now, but Jaren, I would love to hear from Jaren on like answering these questions. She's always the interviewer and I want her to be the interviewee. I would love to hear like you always, you're an other person that like I go to if I have questions or you're like literally the first person I think of. So I would also like for you to be on this side. I love how the guest immediately just switched to the spotlight and it's like, hey, <laughs> time for you to do something yeah. else. Do something different. Yeah. That is Little awesome. And Sherry is such a such a rich resource. resource. Yes. And yeah. and I love that you mentioned um, you know, the the round tables we have, the monthly gatherings we have. I think when we are working so much in the business, being able to take that step back and talk about topics that are so relevant to our day-to-day life, but at outside of our business, outside of our company, at this macro level, um, personal and professional, it's it's so meaningful, right? We are all in here doing really cool things, but we're heads down a lot of the times. How do we gather more people who are doing the same and to share experiences and help each other as we progress through our careers? Yeah. I feel like it just like pulls you up. Sometimes you're just so in the weeds on things. And it just, even if it's the same topic that has you in the weeds by talking, like it just pulls you up to be able to see it from a whole different perspective. It's actually a, like a mech, not a metric or a KPI, but, uh, it's a goal I have for my team. I keep saying to them, like, go to webinars, go to networking events, like find your RevOps ladies group, because I promise you, it's going to completely change your career and your pet, like, you guys need to have this support group that you have. And it's something I keep pushing them on about how important it is. And like, if something doesn't exist, make it up, like go and meet people and then form your own because it's just like, I can't even tell you um, how important and how grateful I am for it. Like I, I, like, I, I just, there's no words to describe how grateful I am. Woohoo. That is um, such wonderful feedback and praise. And thank you, Kate. And I feel like a lot of the people who are listening to this podcast are going to you know, be on their phones and be like, how do I connect with Kate? Kate has shared so much great advice. Uh, Kate has shared so many great experiences. So how can people find you? What's the best way for them to connect with you? So I'm on LinkedIn, Kate McKenzie. It's K-A-I-T. My Full name is Kate Lynn, so you just take off the L-I-N and that's Kate. I know it's a little different, but uh, it's Gaelic. So um, I, yeah, I would say that's the best way. Just in your note to me, um, just put, maybe you heard me in the podcast so I know, because um, obviously in our roles, we get so many vendors reaching out trying to sell to us. So um, I don't accept everyone. So just make sure you reference this and I'll be happy to connect. Wonderful. And if people are hearing, you know, what you do at Anapsis and are like, hey, we need to protect our business, where mm-hmm. can they find more about Anapsis? Um, Onapsis.com. So just go to our website. There's, you know, calls to action right there that you can connect. Also happy if you reach out on LinkedIn to me and I'm happy to set you up with someone, just reference it in your message that you're looking to speak to someone. Um, honestly, if you don't have Onapsis and you're using SAP or Oracle, like you really need to like you're not protected. So you really need to use us. Wow. Major call to action there. And we'll also link to Kate's uh, profile and the Onapsis website in our show notes. Great. Kate, this has been so awesome. I guess I had high expectations from having known you all these years, but you've exceeded them. This, this podcast session has so many tips that are so valuable. I, I'm excited to listen back Again, just to make sure that I have them all down so that I can share them with other folks in the uh, the community. Um, but really, it's just been a pleasure. Uh, it's been a, such a, a great experience to watch your career unfold, and I'm so excited to see what the next steps, uh, you know, in in your career are. So, um, uh, thank you so much for being on the show with us today. Thank you, and thank you for being a mentor, a really great mentor to me since the beginning. So this this path I shared. David definitely helped set this path for me. So I I really appreciate it. I mean, it's crazy to know that we met all those years ago and now here we are. I I'm, I also feel like we could probably do this episode like twice as long because there are so many other topics I would love to pick your brain on. Maybe we do a part two at some point. 
Um, but for our audience today, I uh, wanted to thank everyone for listening to our conversation. If you learned something from Kate's experiences, um, took Kate's advice to go and find your own RevOps group, your own support group, please share the podcast and tell someone about uh, this amazing episode. Thank you again, Kate, for being on the show. Thank you. Thanks for having me. And this has been another exciting, info-packed, tidbit-packed, crunchy, takeaway-packed RevOps Rockstars episode. We're so excited uh, to see everyone next time. Stay classy, Rockstars. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us. For show notes and other episodes, visit RevOpsRockstars.com. RevOps Rockstars is sponsored by OpFocus. Visit OpFocus.com to learn more about how OpFocus helps SaaS companies scale their revenue operations. 